Well, good morning. Good morning, yes. Man, it's already been a pretty fantastic, fantastic service. So appreciative of the worship that we were able to be led in. Yes, beautiful. God has been good, and we, he will continue to be good. Uh, I have the privilege this morning of wrapping up this uh, amazing series that we've been in called Mythbusters with one last sort of kick at the can uh, and looking at uh, some of the cultural myths that are kind of floating around in the atmosphere. We're going to close it off with this one here, which I'm going to put up on the screen behind me right now. It says, if I could master self-control, then I could become the master of my own destiny and achieve the good life. If I could just master self-control, then I could become the master of my own destiny, and then I could achieve, then I could really achieve the good life. The idea that uh, every single person is created equal and free uh, is definitely a foundational belief of our current society. Uh, and I personally think it's a very good idea. <laughs> I think also uh, it's a very biblical idea. The sort of roots of, um, of equality really are, are found throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus, he creatively uh, interprets and reuses those scriptures in his own teaching uh, when he breaks down cultural barriers and class barriers pretty much everywhere he goes. And then his teachings are definitely kind of repurposed and, and spread out throughout the rest of the New Testament. And then you see the societies that are born into and reborn out of that new era, they, they start to take this uh, idea of equality and they build it into their DNA. And obviously it's not universal and it's not without its challenges. There's been a lot of hiccups along the way. But if you, if you look for it, you can kind of see the thread working its way through the trajectory of time. You know, in the Middle Ages, we had the signing of the Magna Carta. And then we had the slow but sure kind of overturning of the feudal system through uh, some peaceful means and also through some revolutionary means. Uh, we had the advent and then the subsequent proliferation of what we would call uh, proportional representative democracies. And then all the way up through 1948, when we have what we call the signing of the, the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights. You've probably heard of this before. Article 1, Article 1 of that declaration uh, reads like this. It says... All human beings are born free and equal. All free and equal. I think those three words sum up our Canadian aspirational context pretty well, would you say? All free and equal. Especially that middle one, free. Free. We would be pretty hard-pressed uh, if we tried to find somebody who thought that it was actually a good idea for them to be owned or ultimately controlled by somebody else. All equal and free. Even if you look at the news today, kind of just pick out some of the things that are most reported. Uh, you know, we've got uh, identity issues. We have... Um, uh, end-of-life care, we have reproductive rights. I mean, most recently, if you've been paying any attention at all, the potential abuse of political influence. We seem to hold it as the highest of values that we should ultimately, ultimately be in control uh, of our destinies, in control of our bodies, in control of ourselves. 
Now, obviously, we all end up in, in relationships uh, where we do end up taking directions from other people. You know, whether that's with our boss, um, teachers maybe, police officers, spouses. Hmm. Ultimately, in these relationships, though, we remain in, in control of whether or not we are going to follow those directions. We can choose to obey, or we can choose to disobey, and then suffer the consequences. Ultimately, there are two types of control of the self we could be looking at. One that relates to external things, and one that relates to internal things. So externally, we would often call that self-determination, things like uh, where we live, uh, how we work, and who we love. There's also what in English we often call, most often call, self-control. En français, la matrice de soi. You know, that's how we, we relate to uh, and kind of manage our internal selves, the various aspects even of our internal selves. That's things like um, what and when we consume, um, how, we, how we think, what we say, maybe how we feel. Now, I would submit, I'd submit that in our culture, there is no more appetite um, to have external forces speak to and try to control those internal things than there is for us to be welcome to have external forces, you know, talking about our outside things. We don't want it anymore. But there does seem to be a more ready um, willingness to accept the fact that left to our own devices, we don't seem to have the type of self-control that we would like to have. Um, when, we, when we look at things like uh, exercise, for example, we say that we want to exercise, uh, and there's no external forces preventing us from doing it, and yet often we don't. Some of us say that we'd like to uh, watch less and read more, and there's no, there's no force coming into your home and uh, making it difficult, legislatively or otherwise, for you to choose to do so, and yet we find ourselves picking up a remote control instead of a book. You know, we want to quit smoking, but we can't. We, uh, we, we want to uh, stop being angry with our loved ones all the time. We, you know what, we say, I'm going to really get a, get a handle on my diet. And we tell all of our friends this, and we post it on Facebook, we, you know, we, we really get a good run at it, and then we end up at McDonald's because it happens, to be, it, it happens to be the only restaurant at this exit off the highway. That's okay. And we stand there, we look up at the screen, and we say, you know, we see the clear and obvious choice. We could order a chicken salad with, with the dressing on the side. We see this option, and yet out of our mouths, seemingly from a whole other person, come the words, uh, number four, Big Mac combo, please. Like you hear it, but you didn't say it. What is that? What, what is that sort of lack of self-control? When we say that we want to do something, but we don't, what is going on? You know, when I think of that sort of, I mean, we'll call it split-mindedness this morning. When I think of that split-mindedness, I always think of 
a passage of scripture uh, from the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. I'm going to put it up on the screen here in a moment, and I'm going to ask if you will read it along with me out loud. We're looking for one thing in particular here. There's a bunch of stuff. Paul was a thick writer, but we're looking at one thing in particular, which is Paul's description of what it is like to live this sort of split-minded life. You ready? We got a loud voice. You ready? For, let's read this together, okay? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who do it, it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Oh my goodness, can anybody relate this morning? You're with me. I'm sure that most of you can relate at some point or in some way with the description of what Paul is giving us here. I know I can. In those moments, in those, in those moments when we experience a gap between our desires and our actions, where, where did our self-control go? And even if we had found it, would it have helped to make us happy? Would it have given us the good life? Do you know what originally piqued my curiosity to kind of explore this myth this morning? It, actually, it was not this particular passage of scripture. Uh, it was not a news report. Uh, it was not uh, some sort of recently released statistical analysis. It wasn't a book I'd read. It wasn't a conversation I'd had or some sort of life uh, experience. It was the Disney animated film, Frozen. Now, my absolutely stunning wife, Esther, who's over in Kids World this morning, is from uh, the island province of Newfoundland, just a little bit to the right of us. What up? Quite a bit to the right of us, actually. Uh, and uh, in the 11 years that we've been married, we have made dozens of trips, at least more than one dozen, maybe close to a baker's dozen, of trips back and forth to this, to this beautiful island. And we have done it by car, because it is just too expensive for us to try to do it otherwise, especially with two kids. It's just not really tenable. So we have, we have experimented. We've done a lot to try to make the 24-hour the trek from here to central Newfoundland uh, as pleasant as possible. So with, um, you know, with our kids, we, uh, we, we listen to a lot of music. You know, we put on audiobooks. Uh, we play I Spy. We stuff them full of all the snacks you can possibly imagine. But when all else, when all else has failed, including my patience, when all else has failed, we reach for a movie. And it always works. The movie always works. So the, uh, the one that, that the most... Uh, successful one is the very first one that we ever put in, which is Frozen. Now, uh, if you do not know, uh, if you've never seen, rather, the movie Frozen, then you are actually like me. I've actually also never really seen the movie in its entirety. Uh, I've seen a few clips of it, but I have heard it 
many times from start to finish from behind me. And I could quote uh, large swaths of it uh, from memory for you this morning. I will not. I will not do that to you. Uh, nor will I waste your time with a huge summary of the film. Um, if you've never seen Olaf before, though, he didn't make the cut, but he's worth checking out. It's pretty cute. The only real thing that we need to know about the movie this morning is that there's a character in there named Elsa. And Elsa is a princess, and she's born with this unnatural ability to be able to freeze things, to make things very, very cold with her hands. It's a, it's a cartoon. It need makes sense. Just stick with me. Okay, so she can freeze things with her hands. what she does. She's born with this ability, but what she's not born with is uh, the ability to control this ability. And so at a very young age, she ends up doing something very unfortunate, and she's forced to take this aspect of herself and to kind of stuff it down, to, to hide it, to keep it under wraps. Now, as popular as the movie was, and it was very, very popular, if you looked at my daughter's room, it would be hard to see anything that wasn't branded in some way with characters from Frozen. As popular as the movie was, it was the soundtrack to the movie Frozen that really eclipsed everything, especially in our household. Not just our household. I mean, this was huge. There was one song in particular, a single, and I bet you a lot of you, if you have any kid in your life, have heard it before. It's called Let It Go. Let It Go. It wasn't just big for kids, though. It really wasn't. I mean, in, in 2014, this song was, was everywhere. Do you know, it, it peaked out at number five on the Billboard Top 100. It won uh, both an Academy Award and a Grammy Award. And I could win my daughter's heart forever if I just sang you a little snippet of it from the platform this morning. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to exercise a little bit of self-control. But here's, here's, here's the lyrical gist of what the song is about. At a certain point in Elsa's life, she, she hits a wall. And, and she simply cannot control herself anymore. She feels this, this burning inside her that needs to get out. She needs to lose control. She needs to let it go. Stuff it down. Stuff it down. So, one very typical day in my life, I'm standing around my house and sipping a cup of coffee and, and listening to my three-year-old daughter belt these lyrics out at the top of her voice, and I noticed something for the first time that I'd never noticed before. Listen to some of the lyrics of this song. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. This isn't to make you afraid to listen to Disney music anymore. The, the thing that I noticed as though for the first time, see, here's the, here's the staggering part. I, I actually pay attention to lyrics. It's kind of something that I do, right? It's part of my job. So I listen for these things, but I'd never, I'd never noticed this little nuance in this song before. Elsa wasn't just letting go. She was losing control. And if you listen to the song, it was as though she was happy about it. It was like she was gaining something by releasing her self-control. You ever notice that when you, when you start thinking about something, you start seeing that thing everywhere you turn? So you, uh, you know, you're in the market for a house, and then everywhere you look, you see for sale signs. 
Uh, you want to buy a particular car, and it turns out that everybody in Moncton now drives that car. You see it everywhere you go. I started noticing this, this thread playing through a lot of different songs. And I'm just going to share a few of them really quickly with you this morning. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but these are just a few of them off the top of my head. There's another one here. It says, I don't need no reason. I don't need control. All those things I shouldn't do, but keep dancing. I can't stop the feeling. That's from a kid's movie, another one uh, called Trolls, uh, written and performed masterfully by Justin Timberlake. Uh, we've also got... Uh, Last Friday night, we danced on tabletops, and we took too many shots. I think we kissed, but I forgot. This Friday night, let's do it all again. That's from Katy Perry's Club Jam, uh, TGIF, from 2011. And my own beloved U2 saying, I know I'll go crazy if I don't go crazy tonight. That was in 2009. Now, unless some of you older and wiser people in the room think this is simply a case of millennials run amok. Let's take a look at this one here from uh, 1965. There's nothing that I can do. I can't help myself. Sugar pie, honey bunch, I want you and no one, nobody else. That's the four tops. And then if you dip even further back, old blue eyes, Frankie himself. I tried so hard not to give in, but why should I try to resist when baby, I know so well that I've got you under my skin? popularized by Frank Sinatra, but actually written by Cole Porter in 1936. Are you seeing this? I mean, these are just a few, these are just a few songs off the top of my head. But am I crazy? Don't answer that. Am I crazy or are you noticing a bit of a trend here? There seems to be something latent in a lot of our popular culture that has this desire to give in to something outside of ourselves. Whether they're singing about romance or alcohol or dancing, there's this, this, this kind of pressure to release control. Now you might say, I mean, Mark, this is a handful of lyrics from a few songs. Hardly a pattern does it make. Maybe, maybe you're right. But maybe you'll start to notice things a little bit differently now when you, when you look around. When you're at your office or at school and you hear people talking about how much they drank last weekend or you know, whatever, uh, whatever product they ended up consuming, is the punchline, and it made me feel in total control of my situation. Everything was crystal clear. Or if you look at the love stories that we, we watch in movies or we read in books, how often is the, the narrative that the, the main character was in absolute control of their passion and they were able to choose for themselves what they were going to do next. How often was the, the love story not overwhelming? See, this control that we as a society have fought so hard to get and to keep this this uh, you know, self-direction that we as a people have been fighting for since the dawn of time, this, this control of the self that we, we absolutely crave and need, it, it weighs on our shoulders. It's sort of like a, it's like a precious, it's like a precious kind of burden that we, 
we feel like we can't live with, but we don't want to live without. What is that? What is that sort of split-mindedness? I mean, if you, if you want to lose something and then you lose it, can you even say that you lost it? Just a few verses after the very bleak picture that the Apostle Paul starts to paint for us in Romans chapter 7, he also starts to paint the solution. What a wretched man I am. Who, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who delivers me. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life, a unified life. And when he chose to obey his Father and to follow him all the way to the cross, he paid for our mistakes. He paid for all of the missed choices that we had. And it, that, that gift is completely free for us. That is good news this morning. Because even though it is free, as Pastor Joel taught us just a few weeks ago, there was a tremendous cost associated. It was just paid by somebody else. It is free for you. It is free for me. It is free for us. But wait, it doesn't end there. There's more. Not only have we been forgiven, but We've been offered also as a gift the Holy Spirit to live inside of our lives and to, to lead us into a new way of living, into a new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of expression. The Apostle Paul, in that same letter to Romans, he says we have been given the opportunity to live according to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. So what then, what does it look like for us to live according to the Spirit? I want to read you uh, another section of Scripture this morning. This is in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to move through it pretty quick. This is another letter written to another church, but by the same author, we believe, the Apostle Paul. And if you see the sort of analogy between the argument that he starts to build in Romans and what he's doing here, I think it's worth considering. Again, Galatians 5. We're going to start. Um, we're going to start here. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. If we skip down a few verses, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, 
Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you've read this section before, or if you've heard it read, it's often called the fruit of the Spirit. These are, these are outgrowths, you know, natural results of the supernatural presence of God living inside you. They are results. They are not causes. They are fruit, but they are not roots. So the gospel remains completely free. The good news of Jesus Christ is not something that you can earn, nor anything that you have to earn, right? So being a kind person doesn't get you the Holy Spirit in your life. Being gentle or faithful doesn't get you God. But once you've received the Holy Spirit in your life and you've begun this transformation into becoming the person that God always wanted you to be, then these are the kind of natural, supernatural results that we can expect to see. So here's what we need to pay a careful attention to this morning. Self-control is listed as one of the results of having the Holy Spirit living inside your life. This this self-control that Paul described earlier in chapter 7 of Romans as being kind of beyond his his natural grasp, this self-control that we've kind of outlined earlier as being one of the, the foundational things that we as a people in society say that we absolutely want and yet we, we kind of traced throughout the trajectory that we, we have these kind of subconscious pushbacks in our art that let us know that even though we say we want it, maybe sometimes we don't know what to do with it. That self-control is the result of living according to the Spirit. Is that surprising to anybody but me? You know, the word spirit shows up quite a lot in this little section in Galatians. Live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, led by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. You know what Paul never says? To be compelled by the spirit, to have the spirit force You know, the Holy Spirit is actually incredibly strong and powerful, but gentle. And the kind of relationship that we have with the Spirit is one where he does not compel. He only, he only invites. If you read some other spiritual things in the New Testament, you'll hear about things like possession, where spirits make people do all kinds of crazy things. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. You know, there's another, another popular song that kind of came to mind as I was doing some research for this message. It was popularized by Carrie Underwood a few years ago. Jesus, take the wheel. You guys know this one? Take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. There's an element of truth to Miss Underwood's song here. You know, it, it sounds a lot like Uh, surrender, like an acknowledging of our own insufficiency and inviting for God to come in and put his hands on the wheel of our lives. Now, 
please hear this next part very, very carefully. I'm going to try to be as clear as possible. There absolutely, unequivocally are moments in all of our lives where we need the direct supernatural intervention of God to come in and to do what only God can do. The global sort of, okay. The global effects of sin and brokenness in our world are outside of our hands and they have repercussions that we, we can't expect or plan for. We look at things like natural disasters. We look at the way that sickness racks our bodies and eventually leads to death. We look at mental illness. These are, there are times in each one of our lives where self-control is not only uh, not a solution, it's not even an option, but the grace of God is not only freely available to all of us, but it is completely sufficient for whatever our needs might be. In the same letter to Romans, in the same letter to the church at Rome, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But here's the thing, and I'm going to step out on the ledge for this one. Here's the thing. There, there are very few biblical examples that I can think of where God has clearly spoken to an individual and they have the faculties they need to act upon what he's called them to. And then God himself has stepped in and short-circuited their responsibility to respond to his leading by just doing it for them, by putting his hands on the wheel of their lives in those moments. See, when you, when you look at the broader biblical narrative, I think, I think what it's pointing us towards is the fact that God, God wants much more than to put his hands on the wheel of your life. He wants to empower us to be able to choose to keep our lives on the road that he's set for us. So, if that's the truth, what about the myth? If I could master self-control, then I could become the master of my destiny and achieve the good life. Is that true? I mean, there's a scent of truth to it, right? There's an element there. I think we learned a word last week. It's, it's truthy. It has some truthiness to it. I think rather, though, what the Bible is trying to lead us towards is the understanding that if I could allow Jesus to be the master of my destiny, then the Holy Spirit will empower me to live the best life. Not just, not just a, a good life, but the best life, a life that is defined and designed by the creator of the universe. I mean, it absolutely has to be better than a life that I try to define and design for myself. He has, he has better access to the information. He has more perspective. But here's the thing. He is also very gracious. God does not force us to live a good life. He just 
invites us to live the best life, to live a life that is eternal and is vibrant and is here and is now and what is described in the gospel according to John as life abundant. So when I look at the the letter to the Galatians and I look at that passage that we, we just read, I see three movements or sort of three steps to what it is to live life according to the Spirit. To live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and then to keep in step with the Spirit. So if we look at the first one, to live by the Spirit, you have to actually live with the Spirit. You have to begin a relationship with the Spirit. And you can't be in a relationship with somebody that you've never met. It doesn't work very well. There has to be a point of introduction. We have to get to know the Holy Spirit by having the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that only happens by faith in Jesus Christ. It's like we described earlier. It's not, it's not like we can take uh, the fruit that we want and sort of staple it to the tree and hope that that somehow makes the roots dig in. You only have the opportunity to live with the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ. It cannot be earned, but the good news is that it, it doesn't have to be. So here's the question. Have you received the Spirit into your life? So we not only need to be living by the Spirit, but we also need to be led by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. For that to happen, we need to learn to actually be listening for the Spirit. This is actually not a natural phenomenon. This is, this is supernatural. If we're left to our own devices, we will fight to become our own leaders, to, to not only keep our hands in the wheel, but to map out our own path. See, to be led by the Spirit, it requires some pretty significant intentionality. We have, to, we have to carve out patterns in our lives where we actually listen for what the Spirit is saying. I mean, that happens through, you know, engaging with the Scriptures, through prayer, you know, putting a time of reflect, reflection in your day, a time of reflection in your week where you're actively looking to see where you are and to see where the Spirit is taking you. By making sure that we're, we're consistent in showing up for our gathered worship services and by making sure that we're in a community of like-minded believers. It doesn't happen by itself. Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you listening this morning for the Spirit? So if you're, if you're led, if you're living by the Spirit and then you're led by the Spirit, we, we then need to choose to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to choose to keep in step with the Spirit. The absolute best directions for your life, for my life, for our lives will be utterly useless if they remain unfollowed. You can have the best GPS in the world and it will do you this much good if you leave it at home. Are you, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Are you following 
the Spirit in your life. Live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. When you break it down like that, I'm sure it sounds pretty simple. Simple, perhaps, even if it's deceptively so, but it is definitely not easy. But it's worth it. In just a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to witness a number of people who are going to be taking some really, really practical next steps in their journey of spirit followership. They're going to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. They're going to take Jesus up on his offer to transfer their citizenship from here into heaven. They're going to say, I choose to not only live with your name on me, but to follow all of your leading wherever that may be. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. But what about you today? Where are you in this spirit-following journey? Would you stand with me for just a few moments?